This week on the Dylan and Dylan Show, Nick Rose, fellow Tunnel Vision sports journalist and SIUE baseball player, joins the guys for an interview. Guess who returns with NBA All-Stars dating back to 2000? Q&A covers Matthew Stafford Hall of Fame questions and if the Rams can become a dynasty. And Dylan and Dylan wrap up the football season. This week in sports covers the universal DH rule in the MLB and our picks for the NBA All-Star Weekend. to the Dylan and Dylan show excited to have you along for the ride today I am Dylan Jesperson excited to have you along for this post Super Bowl edition of the show Dylan Holtz is with me as always Dylan how are you doing today I'm doing great but I think uh when we're talking about how people are doing like you just asked how I was doing you know who's doing really well any basketball team that Dylan Holtz somewhat supports they are thriving right now the Memphis Grizzlies, John Morant was out last night. We were recording on Wednesday, Tuesday night. John Morant was out. They went into New Orleans and just were awesome. They, Tyus Jones stepped up, had a career night. Tennessee Volunteers beat UK at home in Knoxville by 14 points after getting just shellacked in Lexington last month by 28. So that was a huge win for the balls. And then obviously my Murray State Racers moving up to the number 21 spot in the AP poll have two big games this weekend in Murray. Very, very excited to get to Murray for at least one of those games. Uh, it's a very, very, very fun time in basketball for me. Obviously, the Super Bowl was awesome. Very, very good game. Excited to dive into that as we get into the show. It's a fun show all together, talking football, basketball, uh, and all the fun stuff going on in the world of sports. But I have a question for you before we get into it. I was talking about this with a friend, and I was telling them before the show, I always give myself like 10 minutes where I put on sunglasses and I just listen to music. It's always four different songs. I give myself about 10 minutes. So do you have any pre-show rituals? And how are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Pre-show rituals is really just me like writing the script furiously because I'm such a procrastinator. I usually wait till the very last minute to do it. But that also like helps me organize my thoughts a little bit better because then I, it's like fresh on my mind and I remember what I'm going to say. And then usually I don't even need the script at the other day. So that is my uh, pre-game, pre-show ritual. But yeah, excited to get going, excited to get into a fun show today, fun list of topics and conversations to get into. A reminder to follow Tunnel Vision Sports wherever you listen to podcasts. That way you never miss an episode of any of the fine content we are putting out this week. We sat down with fellow TV sports journalist and member of the Southern Illinois Edwardsville University baseball team, Nick Rose, to talk about a variety of stuff from his baseball career to just general sports topics. So we'll cut to that right now. All right. We got a special interview again on the podcast today, a colleague of ours, but uh, more importantly, uh, a Southern Illinois Edwardsville University baseball player, Nick Rose, is joining us today. Nick, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Actually, really happy to be here. Talk a little baseball. Listen to your guys' show a few times since I've gotten to know you guys a little bit. Enjoyed the stuff. Love the content. So awesome to be here. Dylan, I'll let you have a second. How are you doing as well? 
I'm doing fantastic. Uh, I'm excited we get to talk some baseball. Me and Dylan talked about it a lot last summer and going into the fall. I like my love for baseball was rejuvenated last summer. And we kind of talked about it right before we started recording. We might not get that love for pro baseball as soon this year, but hey, we can talk some college ball, which I'm a-okay with. And as we get into it, I can talk to you about how I've kind of fallen in love with college baseball over the past, like, I'd say like five years. I'd say five years, sure. Five years ago is 2017. I'd say it's that, yeah. Uh, DJ, how are you? I'm doing good. I'm excited to have Nick on the podcast. It's a long time coming. We've been trying to get him on. We're happy to have him on tonight. Nick, first question, and it's the first question I ask any athlete that I'm interviewing. You're a baseball player. You do it for – you obviously have a passion for it, and I want to know what sparked that passion back in the day. Like, what was the first thing that sparked, like, hey, I'm, a, I'm pretty good at baseball, and I want to do this more meaningfully, like, more uh, – take it very seriously. Of course. Um, I actually had a great grandpa, still alive, pushing, pushing death. Don't really want to talk about it like that. But he was a season ticket holder for the Mariners. And so I'd always be around his house probably once a week because my mom would always want to see her grandparents. So he, his love for the Mariners just kind of pushed on to me. And I um, just grew up in Seattle, and I was just became in love with the Mariners. I mean, I was there after the original Ken Griffey Jr. era, but I got to see him retire. Uh, I grew up watching Edgar Martinez, who was recently inducted into the Hall of Fame and has a word for him after the best designated hitter each year. So that kind of growing up in that Seattle area with those icons to look after, as well as my older brother, who's about three years older than me, grew up playing it, and it was his favorite sport. So obviously, as a younger sibling, you want to follow your brother. And, you know, I think there's just every sport I dabbled around and played with, there's really, you realize eventually there's one you're really good at. And so baseball was for me what I was best at. And I liked it the most out of everything. And the Mariners are special to me. So that's a big, big reason why. I'm really glad you mentioned the Mariners. I was doing my research as I always do before these interviews. And I, I got to your profile on SIUE's website and it said Washington. I was like, oh, we got a Mariners fan. Cause I've, I've had this like special, like, thought process in my head with the Mariners for a long time I always got drafted to them in MLB the show so I've always kind of like rooted for them to like hey it's the Mariners I play for them sort of so they've kind of always been like my AL team uh so I've always kept up with them like I always loved watching Ichiro King Felix and the boys they've had some tough years but last year was fun um I see all that to ask this do you have a favorite Mariner that from just growing up watching them like my favorite would be Ichiro King Felix by far but I want to hear from someone that actually watched them. Right. right. Uh, like I mentioned, Edgar Martinez was definitely my favorite. He was, I wore number 11 for like my whole childhood because he wore 11 and he was really cool. Right now there's a player that you guys may not remember hearing in 2021, but you heard his name in that COVID year, Kyle Lewis, who was injured this past year. He only played in, I think it was under 60 games. He had a knee problem. He is one of the most electric players that I've seen on that team. And just obviously we saw the 90 win season from them last year. I'm a huge, huge Mariners fan and seeing Seattle kind of shift into a baseball city again this last year is something so special to me as a baseball fan. But Kyle Lewis is definitely my guy. Uh, I hope, you know, his name's been thrown around a little bit in these trade rumors for some better players. But, you know, I think they build around him. That outfield is, is scary. I have a teammate who's hit uh, in the same facility as Jared Kelnick. And I, he's a special guy, too. So this Mariners team, I'm all bought in, obviously, being from there. But a lot of people called them last year America's team. So, like, this is this is the year. This is at least the playoff break year. So um, I'm excited. I, I hope I can be there to see some of the games. I think they're so easy to root for, especially in that division where you've got a super villain like Houston, where you've got just the polar opposites of a team that's, like, kind of been irrelevant since that 01 season. And then you've got – 
Houston, who's just become just the ultimate bad guys, like the Thanos of the MLB. And you've got just this juxtaposition that makes it so easy to root for Seattle. Um, I'm glad you mentioned Kyle Lewis too. That's a guy like you. I've become a huge fan of him since his rookie year, the COVID year where he was so good. Cause he is, he's just, he's electric. He's a badass. He's just a really good baseball player. Um, He went to a small school like an SIUE. He went to Kennesaw state down in Georgia. Does seeing a guy like Kyle Lewis go to Kennesaw state, uh, does that kind of inspire you? Does it, do you know if it inspires teammates? That's like, hey, it's doable. We can reach that level. Dylan, I don't, I don't want to correct you here. You got the state right. He went to Mercer, though. And yes, he did. Ah, uh, yeah, he did go to Mercer. Yeah, no, and the main, I knew that. Yeah, I mean, I knew that. You know, the main reason here, and that's so funny that you bring it up because we are actually we play Mercer second weekend for SIUE, and that is like. It's a it's a fan almost like a fangirl moment I guess you could say just because of how much I love him uh, what he's done for the Mariners and the opportunity to just go down there and be like hey I, I'm touching the same grass as this dude roamed and so it does kind of spark you especially you know he went in the first round that there is like there's some really good guys even in the OVC that we see uh, you know I didn't want to say OVC we see but that we do uh, Dylan Dot was a pitcher for SEMO last year and he went in the third round we have a pitcher by the name of Colin Baumgartner who was projected to be the top OVC arm in 2021 before unfortunately having to get Tommy John surgery right before the season. And, you know, we saw Dot, who was ranked number two, go third. It made you, it made us all wonder here at SIUE if Colin Baumgartner could throw just as well as he was anticipated to. Maybe he could be in the first round. We had Trey Sweeney, a shortstop from Eastern Illinois in the OVC, get drafted by the Yankees. I think it was the 21st overall pick. So mid-major baseball, just like any other sport, I mean, you know firsthand John Morant being the number two, two overall pick out of an OVC school in Murray State. It is Division One across all levels. Maybe it's not the best in some places and other places, but every every conference has one piece of talent that you could be like, dang, this is a dude. And th- there's a few of them here. So uh, the Kyle Lewis thing is inspiring for, I think, every Division One athlete across the board. It has to be. I think Kyle Lewis was a great example for – whatever conference mercers and it's equivalent to kind of what jaw did for the OVC. it brings light to the entire conference not just the school because like it brought so much to belmont just talking ovc basketball and now moorhead state with what they're doing this year it's brought a lot of shine to those schools which is really cool to see especially it being a murray state state guy that did it, i love to see it and just jaw bringing more shine to everybody i love it and i'm sure kyle lewis has had the same uh impact on mercy so yep. you mentioned you mentioned that baseball became like the sport you you noticed was you, you were the best at, but obviously as a Division One player, there's like it, there, there's a difference between like what me and Dylan remember as our, our our best sport growing up, and like when you kind of realize like you had something in the in baseball. Do you remember that moment, or maybe it was a season, or maybe it was a, a, a stretch of games that you remember? Like, hey, I've got something here. I have a chance to really make something of myself in this. Honestly, it probably took me until like my senior of high school to really realize the full potential. I always had the dream kind of the aspect of that from, you know, middle school, maybe late elementary school. And it just, I was good, younger, really good, you know, 10 U, 11 U, starting to play those first couple of years of select baseball. And then I was just kind of like, okay, I was okay through like my middle school era. And I was like a little undersized, a little underweight. And then my junior year and senior year, I, I, I realized how to move around the weight room a little bit. I met the right kind of coaches, met the right kind of people that just like kind of helped push me. And I had a really breakout senior year. I knew I was going to go to a junior college if I wanted to continue to play baseball. And then I had an adversity moment hit me my first year at a JUCO. I I broke my finger about two weeks before the season. I was supposed to lay down a bunt and like the pitcher threw a two seam. I didn't pull back in time and my finger got smashed between the ball and the bat. 
and I was out for what was supposed to be at least half the season and I, I was going to redshirt. And then I was kind of in the, like the realization, the moment you're injured and you feel like everything's taken away from you, it's, it's a different feeling. And even as little as it was as a broken finger, it meant a lot to me to realize like, I really am dedicated to this. My whole goal going to junior college was one year and then move on to division one. I, I could have went to a D2 school. I could have went to a D3 school, but I, I imagined division one baseball for myself after my senior year of high school. What happened was we had other catchers and I was about three or four weeks into this broken finger. I planned on redshirting my freshman year and then figuring out from there. I was going to try to walk on maybe at like Washington State if I could walk on somehow, some way, stay close to home, whatever. And our other catcher went down with like he tore his hamstring, completely ruptured his hamstring. And my coach calls me. He's like, do you think there's any way you could play? And I was like, I don't know. I can rush. I started doing rehab drills before I was even supposed to. And the doctors cleared me to do light throwing and hitting with like a tennis ball. And the next day I was playing long toss, trying to prepare for a weekend series. And I ended up playing. I would have to tape my finger like complete bandage mode and wear like one of those pro hitters you wear over your thumb as a hitter to protect yourself from vibration, like over my broken finger and every throw down hurt. But like I had a really good freshman year and I, I won all conference. And then these division one schools started calling me and I was like, this is, this is it. And like ever since then it's been complete motivation even to this point. So as I'm wrapping up my career, but I, it just, it meant the world. So with that injury, did the ball hit your finger? Yeah. It like, I was trying to pull back cause it was a bunt pitcher obviously missed like crazy, but it was one of those, like, you just can't duck it. And it somehow just hit me square in the right spot and shattered my finger. I asked that because I relate to that so much. Eighth grade. I will never forget it. West Kentucky baseball I was playing. Uh, I was up to bat. It was like a three, one count, I believe. And I was ready. I was, I was going to smash this ball. I was like, this is a hitter's count. I'm ready. And I'm ready. Like, this kid is he's pitching. I'm like, this is a solid pitcher. But, I mean, hey, I, I got his numbers, whatever. That was the pitch. I'm expecting fastball. It's eighth grade. You expect a fastball. That thing cuts in. And, I mean, I was not ready at all. Shattered my wrist. Oh, it hurts so bad. I don't think I ever played baseball again. I was like, all right, I'm going to go play football. I, I just, when you said that, I was like, ah, oh, I know exactly what he's talking about is it sucks. It just sucks. You switched from baseball because you got hurt and joined football. I found that interesting, but. Well, I'm a, I'm a big fella. And I'm like, you know what? I wasn't that good at baseball. So I was like, you know, I'm a, I'm going to go play football. I'm going to be physical. I'm going to anticipate getting hurt. I, I want to get hit. Not the, I might get hit part. Valid. So. You talked about going to a junior college and then you talked about D1 colleges calling and that being really the moment. I, and that's leads me perfectly into my next question. Anyone that plays college sports, I'm always interested in their recruitment process. What was it like going through, you know, being recruited by D1 schools and, the, you know, the, the process as a whole? Oh, it was, there's a lot of ups and downs and um, a lot of mental challenges because I had this freshman year where I, I had a, a dream, like a goal in mind. And then the goal starts coming to like fruition, like everything's starting to take place. Like I got a call from my, my ideal goal in life, right? Growing up, it was to play division one baseball in Texas. Something about that stood out. And literally three days after my freshman year had ended, I got a call from uh, U university of Texas, Rio Grande Valley, which is in the WAC, one of their schools. And they're like, Hey, like I, I knew this coach and uh, he, he now coaches for the Rangers, which is really cool for him. And we still talk a little bit, but he was like, Hey, like we saw your numbers really good year. He's like, hey, I think we're going to come out in the fall, watch you and, you know, throw you an offer. And like my mind was made like I was like, yes, I'm going to go live this out. And then he got he got a different job and I stopped talking to him. And then there's other schools I'm hearing. Like I didn't get to almost like I didn't get to directly talk to these schools for, for some of them. They would talk to my coaches and it was, I just never understood that. But it was like 
I'm hearing from this school in California. I'm hearing about this school, other schools in Illinois. I'm hearing about some schools in Arizona. I'm hearing about all over the map. But, and it's like, hey, they really like you. We just sent them some film you. They really like you. They really like you. And then I'd be like, all right, what's happening with this school? And there's like nothing going on. Like I, you know, I, I'm here at SIUE and I'm, I'm happy to say I'm at, here at SIUE. So like, I don't want to mention these other schools, but like San Jose State was huge on my radar. And my coach, our catching coach at my JUCO, my sophomore year was like talking to him every day about me and one of our pitchers. And it was like, hey, they want you as like a package deal. You and this pitcher, you catch all the time. You both had really good freshman year. Like they're going to keep looking at you. They're going to keep looking at you and nothing ever came at it. Like, and so I was at the end of my, during the sophomore year, it was that challenge of like, I'm not committed anywhere yet. I need to go show out again. And I got into a mental, just like, if I don't get a hit my first at bat, I'm done for the day. Like, it's just, I'm not going to hit well. I'm, everything else was fine. It's just like, I had a little bit down of hitting numbers, but like not a bad year to not take those schools away from me. And it came, I was playing summer collegiate summer ball, which is a big thing for people to do. You know, you hear the Northwoods league, West coast league, there's the Cape Cod league for those really good players. Right. I was in one of those and I still wasn't committed. And I had like NAI schools talking to me and I was trying to think, Oh, I don't know. Like maybe I, maybe I'm not good. Maybe I'm not as good as I thought I was. And SIU had kind of been on my radar for a little bit. They head coach uh, Sean Lyons here followed me on Twitter, like after my freshman year. So they were like kind of in my back pocket, but we hadn't really talked directly. But then one day uh, I just got done playing a game actually in Canada and it was a really good day, just like the game. And, and they called me, it was like right before my birthday. And I was, you know, I was away from home. So I was always on the phone with my mom talking like, you know, I was sad, like I, I'm not getting these offers and she's obviously worrying about me because I'm far away. And then they call me like right before my birthday and they're like the pitching coach. He's like, Hey man, like we looked at you some more. Like we really want you, like we want you. And I, I was like waiting to get on a ferry to go home. And I almost like started crying because it's just like this, this finally worked. And, you know, I got to call my mom and it was, it was super stressful because it was July and school was start or June, sorry. And school was starting in August. And it's like, I have two months to figure this out, but I still want to go to the one. So the recruitment process was insane. Something I never want to go through again. And uh, <laughs> I wish the best for, for those guys. Like, it's so cool when you're a five-star wide receiver, like you have all the offers in the world and you're just, you got to make your mind when you're fighting for like the one, the two, like to decide, it's really tough and it, it can drain on you mentally as an athlete. So I understand anybody going through that. I want to know how different is Edwardsville, Illinois from Seattle, Washington. So I got to imagine it's pretty different. It's, <laughs> it's very different. The nice thing about Edwardsville is it's about 25, 30 minutes away from St. Louis, but even St. Louis is very different from Seattle. I mean, I grew up with mountains in my in my background yeah as you're repping the cardinals merch they're another good team people are excited about them here again but i grew up with mountains like in my backyard and, and hikes were like and hikes were such a big thing and you know uh you can't see more than five miles away from your house into a different city like the midwest is just so different i mean uh i can see from my like i said it's 30 minutes away i can see from like our baseball field into st louis which i could never see from like my high school baseball field, which is only about 30 minutes away from St. Louis. I could never see downtown Seattle. Like when people say they go on hikes here, they go on like walks on like trails is what it feel like back home. Like you're walking around like a botanic garden or something like a botanical garden or something. Like it's not, it's not a hike. We went to uh, uh, Moorhead last year, Moorhead, Kentucky. And this is the first time these Illinois guys, Missouri guys saw like that what they thought were mountains, but they were really just big hills. Like that's all it was. And so it's, it's very different. It was a huge culture shock, very open. And I found out I had eye sensitivity because there's so much open land compared to these buildings, skyscrapers and mountains in Washington. And it's also not as sunny there all the time versus here where like 
I remember one of the first days I was walking in town, I couldn't look like more, I couldn't look parallel in front of me. I, I was so weird. So very different, but I've gone to adapt to it a little bit. So you mentioned right there by St. Louis. So I'm sure you've seen the arch a million times. So I got to ask you, which one do you prefer the arch or is the space needle? Man. Uh, you know, I had to look this up a while ago. The arch is taller. Fun fact. Uh, I think the arch stands at like 620 where the space needle stands up at 605 feet. The no, arch is super tall. I can yeah. attest to that. I've seen it. Yeah. I just, I don't know. The arch is, uh, the arch is really beautiful. I think it, I think it encompasses the city very well, but the space needle is more interactive. Whereas like you can go in the arch, but you're going in this little like pod and that's all you do. And you look at the top for a little bit. It's kind of scary. Like, yeah. It's very scary. And if you're claustrophobic, you don't want to do it at all. And uh, the space needle, you can like walk around and they have a restaurant at the top. So like for those reasons of purposes, I'd go, I'd go with the space needle. I will have to find out. I have never been to Seattle. It's definitely on the bucket list though. So I will take your word. Seattle. I will, I will say this right now really quick. I don't want to get too big on Seattle. If anyone that knows me knows I'm just a big Seattle sports person. It is the place to be right now for sports. I mean, one, the Seahawks had down here, but everyone knows Seahawks fans are really good. No need to argue that. What we just talked about with the Mariners, they're finally becoming a team to watch again. And that place is becoming just as electric as CenturyLink Field is, or Lumen Field now, sorry, they changed the name, as the Seahawks games. The new renovated key arena, I used to go to Sonics games and sit in that key arena. Now that's Climate Pledge Arena with the Kraken has been an absolute hit. And with the Gonzaga Alabama game, which we saw earlier this year, it is showing you full circle that that city is ready for basketball. And if there's anything I want to drive home on this podcast is that's Seattle needs another, it needs a basketball team. No one wants to play in Sacramento. I don't, I'm not saying relocate Sacramento. It's an attractive market. We got the arena. It's, it is sweet. So there's a lot to be excited about as a Seattle sports fan. As Dylan knows, uh, last summer, right around the NHL draft time, I declared myself a Seattle Kraken fan. Cause I was like, Hey, I wasn't a hockey fan. I'm jumping in with a new team. I'm in. So I, I, I joke with my friends. I was like, I'm a crackhead. I was like, I'm with them. I'm like, I love it. I, I'm right there with them. I agree. Seattle's got a lot of good things going. I like how you mentioned uh, bringing back the basketball team to Seattle. Cause I full heartedly agree. And especially after the past two weeks in the association, the dumb stuff that Sacramento did sending Tyrese Halliburton to Indiana for DeMontis Sabonis. That made me so mad. Vladi Divac and those boys need to sell the team, send it to Seattle, get uh, Seattle, the Supersonics back pumping in, into the NBA. It, it just needs to happen. It makes sense. And like you said, no one wants to go play basketball in Sacramento. Everyone would want to come play in Seattle. It's, I feel like basketball players say like Seattle's a basketball city. And I, I don't know. I just hear people say that like Jamal Crawford and stuff, Isaiah Thomas. So, I mean, I'll take their word if anybody's. So, yeah, I think I think a thousand percent Seattle deserves another basketball team and just make it the Supersonics again. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. With the history that the Supersonics have, I, I, there's no doubt that Seattle definitely deserves to uh, have their basketball program back. So moving on, you talked about your, your career at Edwardsville is wrapping up. I, I just want to get like a general sense of how your career has gone at Edwardsville and kind of just the general sense of how you feel about your team going into the season right now. Cause I've, we've talked about it. You're, you're ramping up to the, the opener coming up here on Friday. Yeah. Uh, you know, my career here hasn't, hasn't gone as well as I was, you know, hoped I didn't make an immediate impact here. Uh, but 
I love it. I love every second of being here. I think we have a great group of guys. I think especially this year, we we had a really good team in 2020, the COVID year, and it obviously got cut short. And last year, we just kind of had some missing pieces that fell apart, a couple injuries. Myself, you know, I'm looking to play a little bit more this year. I've had a really good fall. I had a really good spring. Um, you know, I've been plagued a little bit by injuries myself. Nothing like major until this year I did end up tearing my labrum, but I'll never use those excuses for, you know, my reasons I'm not playing. I just think we got guys at the position that, you know, are more consistent at times. And But as a team, we're really good. We have a deep pitching staff. We have a lineup that's coming back. Um, we The OBC just released some polls on, you know, the preseason outlook, and we're a team that, was sitting in a position to make the tournament last year within the last two weeks. And we fell off and had a really bad last couple of weeks. And uh, we were picked to uh, be as high as third in these, uh, after not being a, a high rated team last year. And we even received a few first place votes and it's all preseason polling. It doesn't matter, but we definitely have the right pieces. And I'm as confident as anyone, especially with this OVC, I think it's wide open that we can, you know, make a run deep into the tournament and, and you know, clinch a spot in the regionals this year. I want to ask you a few things about the OVC because kind of as you alluded to, I'm an OVC guy, you're an OVC guy. So I'm just kind of curious how you see the league. Um, What is your favorite place to play in the OVC? That's not Edwardsville. It's not Edwardsville. I'll tell you right off the gate. My least favorite place to play at was Moorhead state. I know that I will say that a hundred times. And unfortunately (laughs) we have to go back there this year with the way the schedule works. It's usually like if you hosted a team one year, the next year you're not hosting them. Well, with, uh, a few of the teams leaving last year, Jacksonville State and EKU, Eastern Kentucky leaving, the schedule's kind of flipped. So we do have to go back there. If you ever get the chance, look it up on Google. The dimensions of the fields are like really weird. It's like 430 feet to left and like 250 to right. So I hate that place and Moorhead's pretty boring. But so far out of all the places I've been to, oh man, Tennessee Tech probably had the nicest field that we've been to. I never got to, we haven't, I haven't been to Murray yet. I was supposed to go there my first year um we, we go there this year i believe and uh, i believe so i looked at the schedule i think I you guys so do too. come to murray i think the two like spots that like i've wanted to go to that i haven't been to yet i get to go to this year and that is that is uh semo and murray so i'm excited to see those facilities but i more, will more. tell you murray i like johnny reagan field a lot but obviously i'm biased and i have a lot of good memories of sitting out in right field drinking colorado kool-aid and hanging out with murray's bullpen catcher and harassing any visiting right fielder that would give us the time of day um so i i have high thoughts about johnny reagan field so many good memories there um who is outside of the ovc places you visited the like coolest place or most hostile place whichever way you want to go with that Coolest place, we went to Wichita State last year, and that was just a great baseball, one great baseball town. Just the people there, obviously, Wichita, Kansas doesn't have a pro sports team, so they did a really great job, especially during a pandemic. This early last year when the pandemic was still a very much concern, and they showed out as much as they could and brought so much energy. Uh, the stadium itself is beautiful. They had a coach and they still have him as Eric Wedge, who was a former Mariners coach. There was that little connection for me there. But like the grandstands, it's such a retro field with like updated stuff. They had a new uh, hitting indoor and the turf was really beautiful. And it's just it was a really great baseball spot. Uh, hostile environment is I think it's going to be this weekend. <laughs> we go to southeastern Louisiana and I've heard they are pretty rowdy. Uh, they like baseball there. And uh, I think the year before I got here, we played there and uh one of our outfielders said he got heckled pretty bad during his like freshman year's first start ever. And he said it like ruined him for the whole weekend. So I, I'm kind of excited to hear what they got to say. 
So if, if they, that makes if it fun. Knows, yeah, it's it's it is cool. I love the energy in baseball. More talking is better because it, it can be a chippy sport itself. I don't think baseball gets enough credit for that, especially with guys like, you know, you brought up the bad team, but Carlos Correa, you know, given the time watch after he hits a walk off, like baseball is becoming kind of hard nosed and kind of gritty. So I like it a lot. I love it. Personally, I love it. Um, I wanted to know this before you got to Edwardsville, what did you know about the OVC or did you know anything? I knew almost nothing. Um, I knew one of my friend's brothers in high school, did the same route I did, played in this JUCO league in Washington where I was at, and he got recruited by uh, UT Martin. So that's an OVC school, and that's how I knew what the OVC was. I knew nothing really about it except for I knew kind of of Murray State because of John Morant because the year I was getting recruited, that's when he was here. And so I started looking into him a little bit. And then when I was followed like by the SIUE coach, I – didn't know what the school was so it was kind of like a it was kind of like a weird like oh this this is this this is a division one school okay I'm a little interested and then I found out what we do obviously is we do journalism we do sports reporting and it's a really good school for it even though they've kind of died down in the specifics of sports journalism classes which frustrates me to living pieces but we have a really respected sports commentator here who covers all our games in Joe Pot. The uh, Tampa Bay Rays broadcaster, I believe, is an alumni from here. So it's like there's some history here. So that helped a huge portion of why I went here as well. That's really neat. There's a lot of when you really look at it, there's a lot of really cool people in sports from the OVC. And we don't have to get into specifics. We've mentioned a few. But there's a lot of people that have come from OVC schools that have done big things in sports, which is always inspiring to guys like us, I think. Um, I will throw it to DJ. So that wraps up the questions I have about SIUE and all of your college baseball stuff. Now, more as a, a sports journalist, as you mentioned, you've joined us as a writer here, put out fabulous work. Obviously, if you're interested in that, go check it out on tvsportsmag.com. Uh, me and Dylan have been talking about baseball and specifically the lockout as much as we can, as much as we can check in and check out of it. Uh, I want to get your thoughts as a baseball player uh, and then obviously as a baseball fan as well. Nick, what's your thoughts on the lockout? Do you feel like we're going to miss games at this point? What's your optimistic versus pessimistic views on uh, uh, what's going on with the MLB right now? It's almost hard. I want to pick the side of the players first. I want to get that in, in full, full out there. But it's almost hard to understand the lockout because they really aren't doing a great job of covering. In general, it's almost like the information to the public is more secret than the information that the players and the owners know. It almost felt like it was out of nowhere. Like we were just getting into this, what felt like the greatest free agency ever and out of nowhere we just start hearing these rumors about a lockout and they were briefly in the shadows for a while and then it just became right in our face and so I haven't almost I haven't even fully understood it yet but I do understand kind of what they're fighting for in terms of minor league players you know salaries um, just being treated better during spring training it's important. I have a ton of friends, a ton of friends in minor league systems right now. And I've gotten to talk to them a little bit about how bad it is. And it is hard. There is real people like that where they, they're not lying to you at all. They are working three jobs outside of baseball. Like, so I understand that at the same time, I wish this would have been maybe talked about earlier or brought to the table, like right after the season ended. Um, Obviously it's a short window from the world series to spring training, but I'm starting to feel like we're not going to have a spring training, which sucks. Uh, at least it'll be very minor if that. And then they plan, from what I understood from what I've read recently, is that the MLB does plan to start on March 31st, and that's when opening days will start. But I think it's going to impact a lot of rosters. Like, we're not going to see, you know, what what are these? There's still some big star free agents on the table, obviously. You know, a few to mention is Carlos Correa and Javier Baez are, are 
two notable shortstops go along with Trevor Story and Chris Bryant. And so it's like, are these guys going to be ready to sign right out the gate? Because they're not supposed to, and I'm sure they have been talking to organizations, but like, what are the chances that they're not playing to start the season? And then what does that do for the revenue of baseball? Baseball needs to be marketed better. Of course, that, that's something that we can all go around saying, even at the college level, it's been hit hard from players that there needs to be more than two paid assistant coaches. But for the MLB, it needs to be advertised better because there's no reason that the NFL is doing so good after a global pandemic. The NBA is starting to look like they're doing so good where they are talking. Both sports are talking about expansion, talking about making, you know, more international play that baseball is falling behind and it's losing money. So I think it all starts there. And that's probably a big reason why these players are mad too. It's all connected in a circle and it starts at the head, you know, the head with Rob Manfred. I don't know him too well, obviously, but I think he's terrible for baseball. I a thousand percent agree. It's very frustrating. And I, I talked about how I felt last summer, like the MLB, I, I just had a rejuvenated love. Like obviously I grew up loving baseball. I think everyone does. It's such an easy sport to fall in love with. And you're young and you fall, you can just be obsessed with your favorite team. Like you were obsessed with the Mariners. Dylan was obsessed with the Tigers. I was lucky. Got obsessed with the St. Louis Cardinals, won a couple championships, whatever. But I, I feel like as you get older, it's harder to keep up with 162 games. You get busy in high school, college, all that. It, it bogs you down. But last summer, writing almost every day about the Cardinals, I just fell in love with the game again and fall in love with these new stars, Shohei Otani, Fernando Tatis. It seems like it would be so easy for the game to just explode with popularity. You've got guys like Otani and Tatis who have so much swagger and marketability, but my goodness, the MLB does everything they can to just screw it up. And it's so frustrating because it seems like it should be so easy for them. It seems like the oldest league in the world, they should know all the answers and they just don't. And we're sitting here twiddling our thumbs. I think yesterday uh, catchers and pitchers were supposed to report and we're literally just hands in our pockets. We're like, we don't know. We're, we're just going to, we hope we play. And that that's really, really frustrating. It's really bad when you have to bring in, you know, like they were bringing in like a federal almost interpreter to solve the problem. And they, it's like, that shouldn't be done in sports like that. There's no need for it. And you're right about these players. Like think about the way, you know, you can market any superstar Odell Beckham Jr. played not even half the game, right? And he was one of the biggest stories after the Super Bowl, and people fell in love with him even more. And he's probably the most recognizable name in football when it comes to the wide receiver position. Imagine what you could do with a guy coming coming off an ACL injury. We want to talk about knee injuries. A guy who probably could have won the MVP last year, Ronald Acuna Jr., and no one wants to bat. The MLB can't bat an eye about him because they can't figure out this, this thing. Like there is 20-year-olds, 21-year-olds, 22-year-olds. There is young players who relate to these other young players who are trying to get drafted right now that are just phenomenal superstars. And the best thing about baseball is it's outside of soccer. It's probably the most international game in the world. And it's just how do you not market that? And they fail. They fail miserably. The two best players in the world – are the two best players in the league in the world. They aren't American. I mean, come on. Otani, I mean, you should, Otani should be dominating jersey sales internationally. Same way with Tati. It's so frustrating. And then you got the Blue Jays are like the coolest team ever. It's like everyone should be a bandwagon Blue Jays or Padres fan. But I, it's just the MLB wants to be localized so bad. It's like stuck in their old ways. It's old man yelling at the sky. It's like, get with the times. Come on. I, it feels like it should be so easy. The MLB's got these stars in Otani and Tatis. They should be dominating jersey sales, apparel sales internationally. It just feels like flip, just snap. It's like, duh, done. 
They're just, they're awesome. Well, blah, blah, blah. I've said it all. The Toronto Blue Jays are so cool. It's a team of young players. Their dads are all like MLB Hall of Famers, and they're all awesome. They should be the like easiest bandwagon team to hop on ever. Same with the Padres, even though they're kind of annoying in my opinion, but it is what it is. Uh, it's just these teams should be easy to hop on bandwagons, get little kids involved in baseball where they're like excited to watch the game. But nope, it's Rob Manfred and MLB are going to be stuck in the mud and just just not have fun. It's very frustrating. They don't want to be a players league, which is just that it seems like in professional sports today, that's kind of what you have to do. You have to be a players led league. Look at the NBA. It's the coolest league in the world. It, it's they have the format laid out. But no, Rob Manfred has to be a stick in the mud. Couldn't have said it better myself. Um, moving on to we just got done with the Super Bowl uh, not too long ago. Uh, obviously, an NFC West team in the Rams taking it home. Uh, what was that like watching a team from your division? Like as a Seahawks fan, obviously watching a team like that go on a run like that. And what was just your overall opinion of, uh, of Super Bowl, of the Super Bowl? My overall opinion and hope is that Aaron Donald retires. I hope he's serious as a Seahawks fan. You can't not hope for that, but it goes to show that the NFC West is just incredible. They ran the table for, for the past, you know, 10 or so years. The 49ers are probably the forehand of that, despite, you know, people want to say the Seahawks did win the Super Bowl and they should have won another one, darn that one yard pass. But the NFC West is so incredible. And there was actually a moment of doubt in my mind. And I think a lot of people that maybe it wasn't the best division this year. The 49ers were like three and five at one point. The Seahawks after Russ went down, were doing really bad. Even the Rams weren't even that great until, you know, the trades that they made. And then just like the last second half of the season, it took off. So in a way, I was excited to see the Rams win because it just signifies how good that division is. And even as a Seahawks fan, it makes me feel good that we're coming off a really bad year uh, where things didn't go our way, but we didn't have a winning record. And, you know, it's like, okay, our division is really good. So that helps when you have to see those guys twice. But overall, I thought the game was incredible. I was kind of sad how the penalty calls went in certain times, but, you know, Bengals fans being upset about those penalties being called inside the 10 yard line, you know, got to remember that you got saved on a 75 yard touchdown pass because there was definitely a face pass on Jalen Ramsey. So it's, it's, you know, luck of the draw kind of stuff didn't go your way, but earlier in the game, it did. And, uh, and also in that aspect, it sucks that you guys couldn't hold Aaron Donald for half a second more because Jamar Chase, we've all seen it was down the sideline wide open. So that would have been the story. Yeah, it's tough. I, Bengals fans, they're just I, – I talked to my best friend who lives in Cincinnati. And he, he said it was kind of sad that half the people after the game were like, you know what, at least we made it. And then the other half were just like crying. I was like, yeah, that, that kind of is sad. Like they, you made it, but it's just like you, you came up short in the big moment. That That's tough. And then there's people that are like, oh, well, maybe we can make it back again. And it's that's such a mystery. And you know that with the Seahawks, they made it to two, and then it's been a little while now. The NFL is such, so fickle. And I, whew, that was a fun game though. I had a lot of fun watching the flags. Ooh, that's, that's something that they're going to talk about until next season starts because it gives conversation, which it's fun. Give us stuff to talk about too. I like the let them play idea. Uh, you know, I thought it was cool. I thought that was one of the best Super Bowls until that last possession really. It was like, it was, I was like, this is good. These aren't crazy penalties that should be called. So good thing they, you know, they let it play, but that that's really all I have on them. Uh, and wrapping up, uh, we just got done with a crazy NBA trade deadline, and then we're also going into NBA All-Star Weekend. Do you have just overall thoughts on the NBA landscape as of right now? The NBA is so fun this year. 
it, I can't emphasize that enough. And Dylan said it is the most fun league. And I've been trying to get people even around here, especially covering games. Um, you know, for this now, I've found myself being more engaged than I have been in years past. I've become a Knicks fan over the past couple of years. So I've been really engaged with them, which I like. I'm going to watch that Nets game here after this that we're recording on right now. And uh, the trade deadline, I'm excited to see moves maybe that Utah makes see if Phoenix can bring in someone else because the Western conference is wide open. Uh, but the all-star game, there's one thing I'm really excited about. It's short. Jared Allen's going to be in there. And I think that's huge for Cleveland. Uh, have someone from their team that's represented like that. The Afro dude, he's just a baller. I like watching him play. Uh, I'm excited to see the response LeBron gets obviously from there. Um, but I'm sad the Knicks didn't make any moves for the trade deadline. I don't know why I just said the thing about Utah Phoenix. I, meant to say like I'm surprised they didn't make more moves especially Utah let me correct myself on that I got a little bit ahead of myself <laughs> I'm sad the Knicks didn't make any moves and I'm you know not surprised the Lakers didn't make any moves because how can you trade Russell Westbrook right now it's just a tough situation he's worth too much money and there wasn't enough talent to reproduce there but yeah I want to apologize again for that that correction I want to see more from Phoenix and Utah because that is probably my two favorites playing the Western Conference Finals right now. Not a super bold take. I know that might hurt you if you're jumping on the Grizzlies bandwagon over there, Dylan. Oh, but. I am. I'm very much on that bandwagon. I'm, um, a, huge, I'm a huge Jaron Jackson Jr. fan. So he's, he's awesome. Just, yeah, so I'm all for it. But uh, Utah did make a move, and I talked about it last week. They traded Joe Ingles to Portland for Nikhil Alexander-Walker, which was sad. If you haven't seen that Joe Ingles tweet, you need to find it because it's like instinct can make any grown man cry. He's like, I'm going to sit back and drink a beer and – think about my time in Utah. A very sad tweet. And then Phoenix traded Jalen Smith to um, Indiana. So there's two small right. moves. Uh, and then New York got Cam Reddish. So that, that's something. Get the get the Duke brothers back together. Zion's going to come there in like four years, five years. If they would have got Zion, then it, then it made sense. But, okay, I will backtrack a little bit more. I like that they brought Craig back for Phoenix. You, you said they made that move in that Indy trade. I thought that was a good move. They didn't need a star player, you're right. I even wrote about it, how they didn't necessarily need a star player and they just added to their depth, which is exactly what they need to do. Overall, the NBA is the most fun this year. I've It's so wide open watching basketball right now. You should be, you know, guys who aren't interested in say they like college more now because of how it's been in the past, get over that. It's a whole new era of basketball and it is super fun to watch. I, my entire life for 22 years, probably, I said, College basketball superior. It's the superior product. I like college basketball more. When Ja got drafted to the Grizzlies and I started watching the NBA every night, NBA superior. It's just awesome. It's such a good product. Every it's like every game's good. And like like they're almost always close. There's blowouts. The Grizzlies blow out everybody just because they're really good. And John Morant's the most valuable player in the NBA, but that's a different story. Uh but a lot of games are just awesome and they're just really good games. Come down the wire, it's just really fun to watch and it's, it's the best league in the world, like I said. It's awesome. I absolutely love watching the National Basketball Association. Well, that has exhausted my list of questions. Dylan, do you have anything else left you want to ask Nick before we let him go? I do. I, I have one more thing, um, if you'll entertain me. In, on, your ba- on your wall behind you, you've got three flags, three banners. you got a Cavaliers, is that a, a Capitals, and a Dolphins. And then you've got the Rays hat on. Yeah. Is that okay? What's that all about? We'll dive in really briefly here. I'm 100% Seattle till I till I die. But these have been my three kind of alternate teams, I would say, until I decided 
I needed to like kind of get off the LeBron train. I was definitely a Cavs fan growing up once the Sonics left. And so I kind of rode with them for a while. And then after they won the finals, I kind of just bounced off that and found the Knicks. So that was my team there. But yeah, so I, these are like my secondary teams. We didn't have an NHL team. And when I was a little kid, I watched Alex Ovechkin play and who can't love OV8 the great. And when they won a Stanley Cup title right after my the day after my birthday, June 7, 2018, against the Vegas Golden Knights, which was super cool, by the way. Um, and then the Miami Dolphins, it was right around the time the Seahawks were repeating or going for that repeat. And everyone and their grandma was hopping on the bandwagon. And I was like, all right, I'm going to stay loyal to the Seahawks, which I still am. I consider myself a huge Seahawks fan. But I was like, I'm going to find this really bad team to root for. And so when they're good, I can just say I've been there. And so the Dolphins are my team and it's not paying off as of lately. And the whole ownership thing going on right now makes me kind of not want to be a Dolphins fan, not flying that flag proudly, but those are my, those are my backups. Okay. I respect that. I think, uh, I, I think a lot like that, but I, I have these alternate teams. I end up like switching them around a lot. So I'm like, I don't really want to follow that team anymore. Like there was a couple years where like Dylan's Lions, like when I was in high school, I loved watching the Lions. I was like, well, like I never interact with the Detroit Lions, so I'm going to watch them. Matt Stafford, Ndamukong Sue, playing defensive line, I loved Ndamukong Sue. I did not care how dirty he was. I was like, this guy's awesome. He kills every offensive lineman. I want to be Ndamukong Sue. And then you had Megatron and Matt Stafford and Reggie Bush. That team was awesome. But we'll talk about that some other time. I was just curious. The whole time we were sitting there, I looked at those uh, banners and flags behind you. I was like, what in the world? I was like, in Edwardsville, uh, I was like, I didn't know if it was roommates. I don't know. I was just curious this whole time. No, big Seattle fan. These are just kind of the backups I've had and collect them over the years. The hat, I didn't answer the hat, but as a baseball player, you collect a lot of hats. And so this. I don't even play cool. baseball and I've got like 30 right. MLB hats over here. I get that. Yeah. So this was, this is just a pickup along the way. It must be nice to have alternate teams because your teams are just so good. You get to like adopt other teams. Be like, oh, that bad team seems like it would be fun to root for. As a Detroit fan, I cannot relate to that at all. I do have alternate teams, but it's not for that reason. Uh, Nick, it's been an awesome conversation. Uh, happy to sit down with you, and we'll have you on again soon because this was a lot of fun. Uh, thank you again for joining us. OVC tournament time. We'll have to get you back on here. That would be great, and I'll come preach that the Cougs are about to win this thing. In, in basketball, hopefully they sneak in. They had a huge injury. Uh, with Rayshon Taylor. If you guys are listening to that, that's unfortunate. One of the best scoring freshmen in the nation. He's very good. Yeah. So hopefully, you know, his recovery process goes well. I've gotten to talk to him a little bit in general. Good dude. Nothing but uh, success for him. Thank you guys so much for having me. It was such a blast actually. And uh, you know, go OVC sports. Yeah. Uh, hey, you won't believe it until you OVC it. <laughs> Absolutely. We'll talk to you soon, Nick. Thank you again. All right. Thanks again, Nick, for sitting down with us. I had a ton of fun speaking with him and we will be sure to have him back sometime soon. All right. Guess who is back this week with the NBA all-star game coming up. We thought there was no better group of players to guess from than previous all-star selections. And like with the hall of fame, we're going back to 2000 uh, and onwards. So a pretty wide pool of players to pick from Dylan's got the coin. I'm going tails. I'm going tails. It doesn't matter what the coin is. I'm I'm that didn't work in the super bowl. Oh, it is tails. That's Liberty Bell. Yeah, Philly's looking out for me. Uh, you can go first. Okay. All right. Let's let see. My... I want to see what your strategy is going to look like for this. Let me get my, my clock up. Here we go. Is it an Eastern Conference player? No. Okay. It's not. So it's not a Detroit guy. Is it an LA guy? No. No, not an LA guy. So that knocks out the Clippers and Lakers. A lot, lots of those. Uh, Portland? No. No. Memphis? Is it John Morant? 
No. It's Dirk. Good. That'd be good. No. Luca. No. It's not Dallas. Is it a Houston guy? It is a Houston guy. James Harden. It is not James Harden. T Mac. Not T Mac. Yao Ming. Not Yao Ming. Dwight Howard. Not Dwight Howard. Steve Francis. It was Steve Francis. There we go. I see. I didn't know if Steve Francis would be too hard because he's such like a a fringe guy. Like if you don't know the NBA, you probably haven't heard the name Steve Francis. But if you know the NBA, you know Steve Francis for like a really short amount of time was like one of the best point guards in the league. At three times. Awesome. Three straight all-star starters. Like, he made the all-star game three times. He started all three. That's Yeah, he's, like, he's a guy that kind of, like, he was in the mode of, like, an AI and set the tone for guys like Ja. So that's why he always kind of sticks out in my head. Yeah, and if you've played any 2K and you've played 2K my team at all, C. Francis he's is, like, sick. one of those cards you have to get because it's just so fun to play with him. Uh, all right, good stuff there. Uh, let me get my – so I got to have all these rosters up. I never know – where it's going to go if I'm going to miss something, but I'm hoping uh, you gave me something a little bit easier. You ready to go? Yeah. All right. Is it a Western Conference guy? Yeah. Memphis guy? No. Uh, okay. Uh, is he active in the league right now? Yeah. Okay. Uh, sure. Active player in the league right now? Sure. I don't. I don't like the sound of that. I don't like the sound of that at all. I'd say uh, if you ask somebody on the street, they'd be like, "Yeah." Uh, Western Conference guy. Okay. Uh, is he? He's in the Western Conference right now. Yeah. Okay. Um, Luca. No. Um, LeBron. No. Uh, Rudy Gobert. No. Draymond Green. No. Chris Paul. No. Donovan Mitchell. No. Devin Booker. No. Nikola Jokic. No. Uh, Car- uh, I'm, out of, I'm out of time. One final guess. My one final guess. It's not a Memphis guy. Nope. Uh, I can't be doing that anyway. Um, Damian Lillard. Nope. I don't Zion think Williamson. Zion. Oh, my God. He's sort of active. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's. I, I guess that makes the the sure sound a little bit. Better. Yeah. Like, oh. Uh, yeah. I, I stumped yeah, you. I, I finally was, did it. I guess he was an All Star last year. Twenty nineteen All Star starter Zion Williamson, and has oh, done nothing a- since. Or 2020. 2020. Yeah. Yeah, because he and he got added. He got added because yeah. Of her, right? Joel Joel got COVID, so Team Durant got Zion. I was not going to get Zion. I was not going to go back because I really forgot that he had actually made that all-star game. I've just like, he's been hurt for so long. I just assumed his whole NBA career has been him hurt, but I, he did play that first half of his rookie year. Sure did. NBA oh. all-star Zion Williamson. I finally did it. That's tough. I was, I thought I didn't go back far enough. I was like, what, who am I missing? Who am I missing here? But yeah, that's I mean, why I went with recent. That was a good one. That was a that was a much better one than I, yeah I expected. But yeah, good stuff there as always. We'll get that stuff up on social media for you guys to to consume. We'll move on to the question and answer stuff. I'm gonna let Dylan go first on this week. Okay, awesome. Uh, we talked about the Super Bowl this past weekend. It was awesome. It was a great game. Uh, and I don't think it's to anyone's surprise that the Rams walked away winners. I mean, that team was loaded with talent, with Hall of Famers and multiple positions, like we said, like for the past few weeks. And that team's just loaded. And we said it all season. Um, I, what my question is, 
is this success that the Rams had this postseason and this season, is it sustainable with how they've built this roster and won this championship? Is it sustainable? Can they form a dynasty? Is that something that is possible with what they've done to construct this one championship season? So they could, like, there's no doubt in my mind that like they could, uh, with like if this roster stayed the way that it is right now then definitely and i think they'd be the favorites for a very long time in that scenario i just doubt that they will with just all the question marks surrounding some of their bigger players like aaron donald's decision to retire or not is probably going to be the biggest factor in that if he decides to retire the rams are still a really good team not the same team that they are this year and, and that takes a big part away uh and that's probably the biggest thing holding me back from saying of course because like their pass rush is the best part of their team. And it's the part that might be gone the quickest. Aaron Donald might retire. Von Miller is probably not much far behind him either. He's been in the league for, it seems like forever. And he's gotten two rings. It doesn't seem like that, that unit's going to stick around and be like a continuous group for the next two years. So I, I could see both of them being out of the league in the next one or two years. And I also think, and we're going to get into this with my question. I think Stafford is going to try to come back and retire in Detroit after his contract expires. So I don't think there's an unlimited amount of time with Stafford running that offense. So I think while they'll be heavy favorites moving into next year, especially if Aaron Donald decides to come back, I think just sustaining more than one or two championships is going to be tough just because of, you know, it doesn't seem like they have an unlimited amount of time with these guys and they all of their draft picks are in Detroit right now. So they're not going to have many young guys to really fill those positions anyway. So I'm going to say no, just because I do think Aaron Donald's going to end up stepping away. It sounded like that was like the way he was leaning. And with the way that he played, I don't blame him for wanting to step away from putting himself through that. Uh, Rich Eisen made a great point this week. It's like, you don't know what it takes to be Aaron Donald. Like we all think he just wakes up and he is, he's just this madman who wreaks havoc on the league. It's like, no, you've got to be one of the most disciplined humans in the world to be one of those types of dudes. And I do not blame him for, you know, wanting to be like, all right, I've done enough. I've been the best player on defense for four or five years now. And now I've got a Super Bowl ring. And now I really don't feel like I have anything left to prove. And if that's the case, then I think the Rams are in a, you know, they're a good team that obviously that offense is built to be good for a little bit, but uh, without the, the pass rush, the way it is, I don't think they're, elite elite the way that they were this year so i'm gonna say no just because of that but we'll, we'll wait and see if aaron Donald and von miller play another four or five years then the, then yes of course but i want to hear your thoughts on it this is something that i've thought about a lot ever since they started making these big moves like to get jalen ramsey and then matt stafford and it's like that's like five years of first round picks gone I mean, that's putting a lot into two players. And obviously, they had the great roster outside of just Jalen and Matt Stafford. You've got maybe the best defensive player ever in Aaron Donald. And that's something that we'll get to talk about if Aaron Donald decides to retire, what his legacy will be. And then you got a guy like Von Miller that they traded for. You've got a guy like Odell Beckham Jr. Just so many pieces where they sent out all their draft capital to Cleveland and Denver and Detroit and Jacksonville. And it's like, whoa the future of this team like what is going on like what what are they thinking but then you kind of look deeper into it and you're like okay they've got some of these guys locked up for several several years von miller's an exception he's a free agent this offseason but that'll be different von's a veteran at this point he could go and get paid and just 
get money and go play somewhere. Or Vaughn's a guy that can take a pay cut and it will not hurt him at all. And he can be back in LA and wreck havoc with Aaron Donald. If Aaron Donald chooses to come back. And that would be something that I think Von Miller would be like, yeah, I'll take a pay cut so I can get 15 sacks while Aaron Donald has 15 as well. That would be totally understandable. Um, and then you got next year, that offense will be Cooper cup, Robert Woods and Odell Beckham jr. To go along with Matt Stafford, Cam Akers, Daryl Henderson, and whoever they want to put it tight in. If Tyler Higby gets healthy, put him in. Or if they want to draft him, like that's just a loaded offense that's going to immediately again be one of the top offenses in the league. And then you got to look at the the head ball coach, Sean McVay. I don't, he gets a lot of credit, but I don't know if he gets enough credit because he took over a bad Rams team in 2017. Since then, career record of 55 and 26. He's been to two Super Bowls. That's really good. Um, that's not a long time period, five years. He's seven and three in the playoffs. Um, I think with the the culture that McVay's brought there of just winning and all these big name players that keep coming to LA and it's LA, I don't think they have to worry about drafting. Get guys, do a really good job of scouting in the later rounds, get guys that can be depth guys and just keep bringing in the superstars. Why not? Who is not going to want to go to L.A. when it's the city of champions? I mean, you've got the coolest players in the game, Odell Beckham Jr. and Jalen Ramsey. I mean, everybody, like, you go on Instagram, it's like, oh, Drake's just posting a million pictures of Odell. You're going to have young superstars that want to be in L.A. Like, if Stafford, ends, if he has a decline, which I don't think Stafford's going to have a decline next season, I think Stafford's okay, which we'll get into. But if the, if they need a new quarterback, that would be the simplest thing in the world. You're telling me Kyler Murray wouldn't want to play in L.A. or Lamar Jackson or someone of that vein, one of these young quarterbacks that have so much potential, play under Sean McVay with all the weapons in the world. I think L.A., if they play it right, they could they could just be playing money ball and not cheap money ball, playing with a lot of money ball and doing whatever they want for a long time just because they've they've become the cool team, which is good for them. They're fan, they don't have any fans, but, hey, it is what it is. If you win, it doesn't matter. So, uh, yeah, I think it's very sustainable. I think they just got to keep paying a buttload of money. And Stan Kroenke obviously doesn't care to do that. So, I think they're good. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see how the Aaron Donald stuff plays out. And, yeah, it's just, yeah, the L.A. situation. Like, they've got the Dodgers. They've got the Rams now. I mean, L.A. is in a great spot for sports to be a sports fan. And no one the Chargers, the Chargers, like, one of the most exciting young teams in the NFL. I mean, they're just set up a lot of good stuff. Like, the Angels – should be awesome. We've talked about that. The Los Angeles Angels should be amazing. The Clippers should have a good future. They won't, but they should on paper. So LA's got a lot of good stuff going. Yeah, if you're an LA fan, you've got a lot. This is the prime time. You've got you've got Super Bowl now, and now you've got a lot. You've got things going for you. Uh, we'll move on to my question. It revolves around Matt Stafford, and if you saw on tv sports this week uh, i wrote a big piece on matthew stafford detailing my relationships with the man and the quarterback with his time in detroit and now winning his first super bowl ring a year away from detroit uh the question is being asked all around nfl conversations now uh quite simply is matthew stafford a hall of famer i right now i think it'd be really borderline matt stafford like came out today and it was like i'm retiring i think people would have to sit down and be like oh is he 
it's really close. Because there's going to be things that hang up on Stafford. Like the one Pro Bowl thing is the stupidest argument ever. The Pro Bowl is irrelevant. Right now in 2022, Super Bowl winning quarterback Matthew Stafford has the same amount of Pro Bowl appearances as Mac Jones. And that's stupid. Matthew Stafford is an excellent NFL quarterback and has been for a long time. He got hurt in this Pro Bowl situation because he played for Detroit on some bad teams in an NFL that had, was loaded with good quarterbacks. And that's how it's been for a long time. And Stafford got overlooked, which wasn't fair. But I think Stafford a thousand percent has an argument. And when I think of quarterbacks in the Hall of Fame, I always look at Terry Bradshaw because Terry Bradshaw is a Hall of Fame quarterback. I'm like, I want to compare the numbers. Terry Bradshaw in his career had 27,000 passing yards. Matt Stafford right now in 2022 has 49,995 passing yards. His first pass next season should put him over 50,000 yards. That's incredible. Um, Terry Bradshaw, 212 touchdowns to 210 interception ratio. Matt Stafford, 323 to 161. That's really, really good. Uh, Obviously, you got the one Pro Bowl, one Super Bowl, 182 games played. That's really good. Terry Bradshaw played 13 seasons. Stafford's getting right right around there. He's at like 12 right now. Um, I, I and then I look deeper. That's obviously I know Terry Bradshaw back in the day. They didn't, they didn't sling it like like they do now. He didn't have Megatron to throw it to or Odell or Cooper Cup. Whatever. That's it's a different game. But still, Stafford's slinging that ball. Um, I looked at like Eli Manning and Ben Roethlisberger were two quarterbacks that will be in the Hall of Fame, no doubt. And I don't. It'll be probably more for their success in the playoffs than just them being awesome. But you look at it, if Stafford plays the same amount of years those guys did, his his stats will be better. If he stays even somewhat similar to what he's done so far, which in L.A., he should be putting up crazy numbers. Plus, he has an extra game now every season with these awesome weapons. I mean, his his stats should be incredible. He should go down top 10 in a lot of passing uh, categories, which is amazing. Um, I think – I, right now, is Matt Stafford a Hall of Famer? It's very much fringe. When it's said and done, yeah, I think he walks into Canton. Uh, what are your thoughts? Yeah, uh, if you want my deeper thoughts on the Matthew Stafford situation as a Lions fan, please go to tvsportsmag.com. You'll see my my piece, and it'll make a lot of this will make a lot more sense. But yes, I don't think there's any question though. I think he's a Hall of Famer, uh, and I think because he was a you know as a Detroit fan, we're in the zeitgeist. He was a fringe guy before just on his numbers alone and i think i people outside of detroit have obviously overlooked that because of what you know what the lions have been and his were in his time in his 12 years here uh but he didn't get the nickname stat padford for nothing because the man put up stats i mean the man will reach the twenty thousand yard mark the thirty thousand yard mark and the forty thousand yard mark quicker than any quarterback ever and obviously he's had some awesome targets to throw the ball to in calvin johnson and Cooper Cup this year, but uh, that hasn't been consistent. And we know the Lions have had have put some really bad offenses uh, under Stafford's tutelage. So, I before he left Detroit, he was a fringe guy, uh, and it was really just the success in the playoffs. And that was something I always harped on was, you know, he's zero three in the playoffs. He doesn't win the big games, and now he's done that. So what 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 is there left to say say about Matt Stafford? I, there really isn't anything. He's he's gotten it done when you've given him the right tools to get it done, he's won a ring uh, and he's got the stats to back it up. I think he's, he's going to be a no question Hall of Famer by the end of it, because I don't see him even 
retiring anytime soon. He seems to have his A game right now, and he's in year 13. A lot of guys around year 13 is around the time that they start to decline, and he, he seems like he's just getting better at this point. So I think we'll see what that Rams team can be as he moves forward. I think he'll just strengthen that argument as he finishes his time out in LA. Uh, but yeah, I think right now, I don't, I don't think it's a question at this point, he's going to be a hall of famer at the end of his career. So I just thought about this. I mentioned Eli and big Ben from that Oh four draft class. I did not mention Philip rivers. Who's the other guy that always gets brought to, brought up in this hall of fame quarterback conversation. I think right now, or before this playoff run, Matt Stafford and Phillip Rivers were very comparable. It's like, oh, they're the guys that put up the crazy numbers, but it's they they're not they don't have the playoff success. They don't have a Super Bowl. Stafford now has that over him, and it seems like everybody's on board with Phillip Rivers walking into Canton. I makes no sense to me that anybody would be against Stafford with the Super Bowl ring and with maybe more very good years in front of him. I mean, we've seen Tom Brady's 49, 50 years old, whatever he is. He's a million years old, and he tore up the NFL this year. I thought he should have been MVP. So Stafford, he's he's like 33. He's still decently young for a quarterback. He's got a couple, maybe five good years in front of him. So this, yeah, I think Stafford's fine. He might get another Pro Bowl appearance for those people that want to make that argument. Yeah, I don't give any – concern to the, the pro bowl selections at all that's uh that's such a peripheral stat at this point they might not even play the pro bowl after after the debacle it was this year um but we're gonna move on before we move at on, least not in vegas <laughs> we're gonna move on to this well actually before we move on to this week in sports with a great game of football shutting down until next fall dylan and i just wanted to reflect on what was a tremendous year of football dylan the floor is yours so I did not expect a ton from this football season in terms of college football. I was very much looking forward to the NFL season, as everyone knows. And I think I had way more fun watching college football this year, which I did not expect. I, I just had so much fun watching Josh Heupel uh, just, just kind of rejuvenate the Tennessee fan base. He came in with uh, just when the program was at a really, really low mark, when Jeremy Pruitt left it and just, whew, it was it was something else. Not great. It was a dumpster fire. And Josh Heupel brought a bunch of transfers in and made Tennessee football a lot of fun, made them very competitive, played in a lot of games that they should not have been in. And I just had a ton of fun. Got to go to three games, which was incredible. Got to visit Lexington and see a big, big win over a ranked Kentucky team. Uh, got to see them play at home against Vanderbilt. And then the best Music City Bowl of all time uh, a couple of weeks ago, which ended in a crappy way, but it was fun. Um, it, it's really rejuvenated uh, the love for Tennessee football that I grew up with. And like, Every time I talk to my dad, we're like, September 24th, we're buying tickets. We're going to be in Neyland Stadium to watch Tennessee and Florida. That's going to be the rowdiest uh, atmosphere in Knoxville in a long time, probably since Ole Miss last year. Uh, but that it, it's going to be a rocking stadium. I cannot wait. Uh, it's, it's really just rejuvenated that love. And I, I don't know. It's a special thing, uh, especially – I'm talking about how excited I am. They went seven and six or whatever. Like it wasn't a good season, but it was just the, the style of play they had. It was just so much fun with a lot of like the key guys like Hinton Hooker, Cedric Tillman, Jabari Small, those guys coming back. It, it's really, really exciting. And seeing the guys go to the pros after not a great year, like I said, it's, it's really, really exciting. There's a lot of excitement in Knoxville. And then the Titans, uh, I expected a lot out of the Titans this year and it got off to a really bad note with the loss of the Cardinals. And then they ripped off like, five straight wins or whatever. They're on top of the world. Uh, and then week eight, Derrick Henry went down with the injury and I was like, Oh man, this, this is tough. 
Uh, and then the Titans are like, hey, it's all good. We're, we're the best team in the AFC. And obviously they, they ripped off a lot of wins. They ended up going 12-5. and five. It was a good season. Uh, it, leaving the regular season, I thought the Titans were the team to beat in the AFC. I was wrong. Uh, Derrick Henry was, wasn't good enough to overcome uh, mistakes from the rest of the team, which sucked. But, hey, it was a, it was a fun season. But being a guy from Western Kentucky following teams like the Tennessee Volunteers, the Tennessee Titans, I'm not really used to having world championship aspirations in football. And this year coming into it, as anyone that's listened to this show knows, I expected the Titans to be in last Sunday Super Bowl. I fully expected to be there. So it was kind of disappointing. But then you look at back at it, it's like this team went 12 and 5. I got to watch Julio Jones almost every Sunday. AJ Brown, Derrick Henry for half the year put up one of the most amazing eight-week stretches ever. Like, he finished top five in the league rushing still and only played half the season. Like, he would have broke, like, every record. Like, that's – oh, Derrick Henry's awesome. Um, but I don't know. It, it, it feels disappointing, but it shouldn't be. Uh, it, it makes me even more excited for next year because they're going to play pissed off next year, which – have fun, AFC. And I was, I was talking to one of my buddies over the weekend before the Super Bowl. I was like, you know, Titan fans have kind of been set up for disappointment because the last two off-seasons – we acquired Bud Dupree, or not, well, we acquired Bud Dupree last offseason. Uh, the offseason before that, we got Jadavion Clowney, which was a huge pickup. And then last offseason, we got Julio. So now Titan fans just expect superstars to come in Nashville every offseason. I'm, I'm not sure this offseason is going to happen. And a lot of people are like, it's going to be a quarterback. I, I think Tannehill is going to be our guy for at least one more year. But, hey, if, if J-Rob and Vrabel want to go get uh, Aaron Rodgers or unretire a Tom Brady, I'd be open to it. Yeah, football season was a lot of fun. I'm excited for next year, obviously. I think both my Vols and Titans are going to go to higher levels next year, which is exciting, especially with the Titans because they were the one seed. So if you're going up, there's only a few more things they can do. So, yeah, pretty excited. Uh, What were your final thoughts on football season? I just talked about my teams because I'm biased. (laughs) You're good. I've got a lot about my teams Uh, on a personal level. Everything really worked out the way I would have hoped when the season started, at least as well as – as I could have expected it to. I expected an eight or nine win season at best for Michigan. They gave me much more than that. Beating Ohio for the first time in my lifetime when it mattered, uh, winning the, our first Big Ten East crown and then winning the Big Ten championship for the first time since 2004. And yes, Georgia did pound us in the playoffs. And yes, Jim Harbaugh almost left us uh, afterwards, but he's back and we recruited in the top 10. Uh, we got a top 10 recruiting class and, and Michigan, despite all of the instability that happened after the season is in a much more stable spot than we were uh, after last season. Uh, Because I'll take, I'll take Harbaugh going to the NFL rumors over Harbaugh winning two games any day of the week. If he's being rumored to go to the NFL, that means he did pretty, a pretty good job here in Michigan. So I'll take that at this point Uh, for the lions. I knew they would bet they would be bad. I predicted that they would be the worst team in the league and I don't think anyone could have predicted the dumpster fire that the Jags would have been. So I'll take uh, winding up being number two overall and being the number two overall pick, especially when the first and second picks are basically identical edge rushers in Hutch and uh, Thibodeau from, from Oregon. Overall, I think it was one of the most fun years of football in a while. We had two new teams in the college football playoffs with Michigan and Cincy, and we had two new quarterbacks in the Super Bowl with Stafford and Burrow. And, And I hope, this is what we're moving towards in all of the football leagues. It's just more parity. I think this year proved, especially with the numbers that we saw with the Super Bowl stuff and the streaming of the Super Bowl and how many people watched that Bengals Rams game, 
uh, football fans want to see new stuff and new people and new teams. Like as legendary as Tom Brady's run was, we don't want to see people win their seventh ring. It was way cooler to see Matt Stafford win his first ring than it was watching Matt Tom Brady win the seventh. Obviously, Georgia is Georgia, but uh, there was a part of me that was happy for those fans because none of them has experienced that. A lot of them weren't alive the last time they won something that big. So uh, I- I'm going to end on that. Let's just turn up the parody for next year. No Bama in the playoffs. Uh, Lions and Titans in the Super Bowl. Uh, somehow let's just get the craziest series of events in the next few months, and then we'll make the most entertaining year of football next year. Could you imagine a Super Bowl where you have Dan Campbell and Mike Vrabel facing off? I think they might just have a fist fight at the 50-yard line. I think the coin toss would have to be the old XFL, like you'd throw it at the 50-yard line. And, and it would be Vrabel and Dan Campbell, yeah, exactly. like a thousand percent. Uh, that, would, that would be my first pick. It's be like, I don't know who else I would put out there. <laughs> a thousand percent. Knowing Vrabel, a guy that goes out there and is like going to block Jeffrey Simmons or attempt to, he'd be the guy to be like, all right, guys, it's me. Let's go win the Super Bowl. I'm rooting for it right now. I'm really hoping that is the, what we see. Uh, but we'll we'll be looking forward to it and we'll miss you football uh we'll talk about you soon uh i'm sure we won't be able to to keep football out of the topics list even when it's not being played uh on to this week in sports we briefly talked about this last week but big announcement from baseball commissioner rob manfred i don't know how we already have agreements on like specifics because we're nowhere close to the overall agreement but the mlb did announce a few things that they agreed to and one of the biggest things they announced was the universal DH rule is finally going to be adopted. Uh, and this is something we've talked about in the past. And as an NL guy, Dylan, uh, I just want to get your reaction. What is your reaction to pitchers no longer hitting in pro baseball? I'm very excited. Um, I think it's really cool. I, I talked about it. I think we talked about back in like over the summer, how, yeah, it's cool seeing like an Adam Wainwright hit a home run or a Bartolo Colon. That home running he hit is like one of the best moments in the past decade of the MLB. But uh, a lot of pitchers, when they go out there, they kind of just stand there, and that's not fun. And the, it ends up in a lot of strikeouts, and that's just no fun. So, and it opens up roster spots for, uh, and it makes it easier to get guys in lineups. Like Nick Castellanos is going to be able to, to just go and be a DH somewhere, which he should be. We talked about that a little bit yesterday before our interview with Nick. I was like, is Nick Castellanos signed? And you're like, no, I don't think so. And I was like, hey. That DH rule, he's, he's going to make some money. Because I kind of assumed last season he'd be headed to the AL anyways. Because I was like, this guy's just going to want to bat. He's he's so on fire. Now he can stay in Cincinnati and just be a DH. And that would be perfect for him. I don't want to see that. But it would it'd be really perfect for Castellanos. Because he obviously just knocks the cover off the ball at Great American Ballpark. So that would be perfect for him. And I'm sure Cincinnati would be over the moon. And they would allow them to get uh, another defender on the field. Uh, for the Cardinals, it's very exciting because the Cardinals are not a team that's probably going to go out and spend a lot of money to get a guy, which is fine. But we've got some guys down in uh, Memphis in our AAA club that we can pull up and allow maybe like Goldschmidt to be the BH or someone else and move some guys around in the fielding scenario, which is fun. Uh, it, it takes some stress off pitchers where they don't have to go up there and hit. Maybe they don't get hurt running the bases, which is always a nightmare scenario. It's just going to be interesting seeing the uh, – the strategies from NL uh, managers, how that changes with like, oh, well, we don't have to worry about the pinch hit scenarios in the fifth inning for the pitcher and all this stuff. So I, I'm, I'm curious to see that. 
Uh, but I, overall, just excitement. I, I'm excited to get to a game at Bush Stadium, hopefully soon, and get to see DHs. That's going to be a lot of fun. Get to see more offense. I'm all for that. Uh, yeah, I'm just over the moon about it. Yeah, I, I am in total agreement. I think it's a step in the right direction. Well, I think I'll be like nostalgic about it. Uh, I think in five to 10 years, we're also going to look back and be like, why did we keep it this way for so long? Because you're only going to open up the offense in the NL more. Like you said, more hitters will be able to make lineups around the league. And, and now NL teams and fans get to experience arguably one of the most fun positions in baseball for the first time, which is the DH. In my lifetime, some of my favorite Tigers have been our strictly DHs. I'm partial to Dimitri Young, who was Delman Young's older brother when I first started watching the Tigers. But obviously, Prince Fielder sticks out as a guy who just fits that DH mold so well and was so good at it and really didn't fit in the NL because of it, because he wasn't that great of a first baseman, but was an amazing hitter. Uh, and I just can't wait to see how some of these NL teams approach that when it, once it opens up. It's going to be weird because sometimes, you know, the, the DH isn't like the prototypical DH guy. Uh, the Rays one time made the World Series with Eric Ibar as their DH. Like sometimes it's just guys that, like you said, like aren't necessarily like hitting the cover off the ball, but they don't have a position on the major league squad. But it's way better than seeing, you know, like you said, a guy just go up there and stand there for three times. I, I think the biggest one, and it was like, I was still in high school when I saw this, but I think it was Kerry Wood was in the middle of a no hitter for the Cubs. And it was like the bottom of the eighth inning and he still had to hit. And he was they're like, Oh, well, he's just going to go up there and bunt with nobody on. It's like, Oh, that kind of sucks. Like that, that seems like a waste of like 10 minutes of our, like that's going to waste so much time. And he's going to have to go, do all this stuff when he could be focusing on the next inning. So it's like, yeah, well, let's, let's do this. Let's take this right step. Like I said, I think we're going to tell our grandkids about the time, like, Oh, back in my day, pitchers used to hit, but at the same time, we're going to be like, wow, why did pitchers used to hit? Because there's just no point in it anymore. All right. Good stuff there as always. Finally, it's pick time. Uh, I don't know how we will keep this going without football in the future, but we do have a major event for picks this weekend. Uh, and that's the NBA All-Star Weekend. So Bill and I are going to pick our favorites for the winners for the three-point shootout, the dunk contest, and, of course, the All-Star game between LeBron and KD. Uh, starting with the three-point shootout, Dylan, who do you like in that event? So I'm going to go with uh, Desmond Bain from the Memphis Grizzlies. I know it's a little bit biased, but I've also watched almost every Grizzlies game throughout this season, covering it for tvsportsmag.com. And Desmond Bain has been just on fire throughout a majority of the season. Over the past, like, week and a half or so hasn't been great, but that's okay. Uh, the three-point contest, he won't have guys in front of him trying to defend him. Uh, Desmond Bain is an, an unconscious shooter, which sometimes does not matter in the three-point contest. As we've seen, it's a weird contest, uh, competition, however you want to phrase it. But uh, I think Desmond Bain has a chance to go out there and show a lot of people what he can do. Uh, that's a guy that just does not miss many shots, and I think he could thrive in that kind of scenario. Uh, a guy that I would look out for is Luke Kennard. I think Luke Kennard, sneaky, could walk with us. He's had an awesome season in L.A., and I feel like every time I turn around, Luke Kennard's hitting a three-pointer. So I, I think Luke Kennard's one to watch out for. But, yeah, I'm going Desmond Bain. Yeah, I wanted to pick Luke Kennard, former Piston, and I know how well he can shoot, but I'm going with Trey Young. Uh, I've spoke praises of Trey Young all year, uh, and I think usually, like you said, this event is so weird, but it's usually like a, a bulk shooter, a guy that can move better from like rack to rack more than your your just your unconscious three point shooter. So I think Trey Young fits that mold pretty good. I'm looking for him to to do it. It's kind of an easy pick, but 
So a lot of the times the three-point competition is just the best shooter in the competition. It doesn't really have to be much more than that. Uh, all right, on to the dunk contest. Who's your favorite heading into that? There ain't no stopping Obi Toppin. Bing bong, I'm going with the New York Knicks, Obi Toppin. I, I just, I have no, like, backup from, like, the past few NBA seasons. I just remember what he did at Dayton and how he was, like, every night putting on highlights. And it's like, yeah. Obi Toppin, he's like the best dunker in the world. And that was when he was at Dayton being a flyer. And guess what? He's still a flyer. And he's going to be back in Ohio this weekend. And he's going to put on a show in Cleveland. And he's going to win the dunk contest. Uh, who do you have in that one? I'm going with Jalen Green. And there, there's if you've watched Jalen Green play this year, he's got more bounce than I've seen from maybe anyone in the league right now. He gets up there. And he's probably has like five of the top ten dunks this year. Uh, just in game doing stuff because you know he's young. He likes to have that flair and stuff too. If anything, if that's any like representation of what he could do in a dunk contest when he's got all his creativity and no one guarding him to do it, I think Jalen Green's going to put on an absolute show. I think we're going to be like, wow, this this man can really jump and this man can really do this built perfectly for a dunk contest. Finally, we'll move on to Team LeBron versus. Team KD, who do you like in the All Star main event? I gotta go with Team Durant. Uh, that's uh, that they got Jaw. I, I feel like I would be a hypocrite if I didn't pick Team Durant. So yeah, I, I'm gonna go with Team Durant. I expect a good game. Uh, I feel like LeBron is really good at drafting these All Star rosters. I like when I looked at that roster, I was like that's a pretty good roster. Uh, but I I got to ride with Jaw and KD in this one. Uh, who do you have in that one? I'm going with Team LeBron. I think. The, I, I look like you said, LeBron did a great job drafting that roster, especially with KD out like that. Your best player of your starting lineup is out of the game. I love, I like the KD roster. I just think the team LeBron roster looks a little bit better with the way that it's constructed. So I'll go with team LeBron. All right. That's going to do it for us here at the Dylan Dylan show. Any final thoughts before we go, Dylan? Yeah. Uh, I'm excited for the all-star weekend. I'm sad football's over. I'm very excited to be in Murray yet again. I'm going to head to the CFSB Center on Thursday to watch number 21 Murray State take on our cross-state rivals, Austin P. There are rumors that uh, NBA superstar John Morant's going to be in the building, which will be very exciting to see. Uh, that game will be on ESPNU if you would like to check it out. Check out the number 21 team in the country. Put on an absolute show in a jam-packed CFSB Center. I'm very, very excited for that one. This is an awesome show. It's great talking to Nick. Uh, great talking baseball. Great talking football, basketball. Excited about all of it. Uh, thank you all for listening. That's all I got. All right. Awesome stuff. Thanks again for tuning in, everyone. Uh, here's where you can find us. You can find the show at Dylan Dylan Show on Twitter and Instagram. You can find Tunnel Vision Sports on Instagram at, on, at Tunnel Vision Sports underscore. TikTok and Twitter at underscore TV sports, Facebook and LinkedIn at television sports and on the web at TV Thank you so much, everyone for listening. Have a great weekend. We'll see you all next week. Goodbye, everyone. <laughs>